Christian Jane Anderson was 17 years old and was ready for life to be over. When she heard a freight train approaching the park where she was sitting, she decided to lay her body across the tracks. When the train stopped, I wasn't sure if I was alive or dead. I remember just opening my eyes, unclenching my fists, starting to look around because I didn't know what to think. I didn't know what it was like to die, obviously. I just had no idea what to think. And when I was looking around, I looked behind me to my right, and I saw my legs about 10 feet behind me on my right. This is Family Life Today. Our host is the president of Family Life, Dennis Rainey, and I'm Bob Lapine. Kristen Jane Anderson joins us today to share a remarkable story of survival and of faith. Stay tuned. Welcome to Family Life Today. Thanks for joining us on the Wednesday edition. We're going to hear a, um, a remarkable story today, um, a story where there's hope. And, and actually, to start things off, um, can I read – I want to read a Bible verse. This is, this is one of my favorite Bible verses. I'd feel better if you had a real Bible open reading I mean, it instead of reading it off your iPhone. <laughs> Huh? I, I love carrying this. Uh, you around. do. You really do. You get a grin on your face when you uh, you it, s- scroll down to a passage. It's a little awkward when I'm up front at church reading from my iPhone, but it's you still, do it there too. Yeah, I just this is the way I read my Bible now, okay. I, and I love it. Okay, First Peter two nine. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His own possession. But here's the part I love that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness hmm. into his marvelous light. I think the story we're going to hear about this week is one of those out of darkness into marvelous light stories. I think you're right, Bob. And I think uh, I think our listeners, regardless if they're dealing with something troubling or challenging in their lives right now or whether things are going well, they need to hear this story. And... Uh, it's the story of a young lady who joins us on Family Life Today. Uh, Kristen uh, Jane Anderson joins us on Family Life Today. Kristen, welcome to the broadcast. Thank you for having me on. Kristen is uh, a graduate of Moody, almost, right? Right. Almost a graduate of Moody Bible Institute. She's a popular speaker to uh, college students and women's events all around the country. She has been uh, featured on Oprah, which... Uh, we had some fun talking about before we came on the air here. She was comparing you and Oprah, wasn't she? She was. Yeah. She was. She was. <laughs> and you actually asked her which was a bigger treat, to be on our broadcast or her TV program. And let's move on, shall we? <laughs> <laughs> and she's written a book called Life in Spite of Me. And uh, I'm just going to cut right to the chase here, uh, Kristen. I'm going to ask you to take us to January 2nd. You were in a park, and it was dark, and it was icy cold there, and it was the most dramatic day of your life. Yes, I was at the park, and I was there because I didn't feel like I could go home. I didn't want to go home. I didn't want to get in trouble. I thought I was going to disappoint my parents again. So I was at the park 
just kind of trying to waste time and figure out what I was going to do next. And I was swinging on the swings. And as I was there, I started to think about why I was there. Why did I feel like I couldn't go home? You know, why did I feel the way that I did inside? My life seemed like it was just a huge mess, like everything hurt, like nothing was going right, like things just kept going worse and worse, and I didn't know what to do about it, and I didn't know what to do, especially with what I was feeling inside, and I was struggling, and then I remembered that in the park that I was in, you're supposed to be out of the park after um, the sun goes down, and I knew that the police come and patrol the park, and if you're in the park after dark, they make you leave. And But the reason I was there is because I didn't want to go home. So I looked around to see where else I could go, and I saw that there had been a set of train cars parked on the edge of the park. And I knew that they'd been there for about three weeks. So I walked over to the train cars, and I sat on one of them. And a lot of times people ask me, did I ever play on the train tracks or trains like that growing up? And I never did. This was the first time I ever walked over to a train like that and sat on it. But as I was there, I really started to struggle. And, you know, why did I feel like I couldn't go home? Why was my life so messed up? And then I started to think about a thought process that I had had about three months beforehand. And it was after one of my friends had taken his life. And he had taken his life by hanging himself in a cemetery, which was a really just graphic, extreme way to take your life. And I didn't understand that. I didn't understand why he took his life at all. I was really struggling with his death. You were uh, 17 years of age. Right. And I had no idea how to handle that. I didn't understand it. I remember thinking... I don't know how he could ever do that. How could he ever take his life? And then I thought, how could I don't know how he could do it the way that he did it, especially that way. But then my thought process changed, and I started to think, well, if I was ever going to do it, how would I do it? And I went through a lot of different things in my mind that I had heard about in school or on TV, different ways that people try and end their lives, and none of them seemed like they would work or be good enough until... I heard the train go by my parents' house. I heard the whistle blow, and I felt the house just kind of shake, and I could feel the power of the train, and I thought, that's one way I would never live through it, and it just kind of snapped in my mind, and I never thought about it again until sitting on the train that day. So sitting there helped me remember that thought process, and that's when I started to consider suicide as by train as the answer to my pain. But I really struggled with that because I didn't want to die, I really wanted to live. I just wanted the pain to end, and I didn't see any other way um, for it to end. I felt like that was the only answer, unfortunately. You had not gone to that park that day to try to commit suicide. Right. No. What what you described in trouble with your parents, feeling like you're going to get in more trouble, and and this was because you'd been out later than you were supposed to on New Year's Eve. Is that right? Right. And and you knew that you had disappointed them. You didn't want to get in trouble again. I mean, I'm just thinking this sounds like half the teenagers' stories I know. It's, it's a pretty big jump from I'm going to get in trouble with my parents and some bad things have happened. I mean, even even your friend committing suicide, That's I, I recognize that that's traumatic. But to get to the point to think, if I were going to kill myself, how would I do it? As I heard you tell that story, I thought to myself, "That this almost sounds demonic to me." And and I'm not trying to jump right to the demon in the bush, but you know what I'm saying? Yes, definitely. It, it it's like Satan knew your thought processes and thought I I could string her along here. 
Do you think that's exactly. what was going on? Yes, definitely. I think that he was in that thought process in my bedroom that night, and I think that he was in my mind, in my thought processes as I was sitting at the train that day because there was a real spiritual battle going on. I would think there's a reason I'm here, and then I would think there's no reason I'm here, and then I would think there's something I'm supposed to do here, and then I would think there's nothing I'm supposed to do here. A battle and, between good and evil. Exactly, and I would think it's going to get better, and then I think it's not going to get any better. And that's what was happening for about an hour and a half as I sat on the train going back and forth. I was comp- so confused, and I could never feel like I could make a decision to end my life. But then a train started coming, and I hadn't made a decision, and I didn't know what to do. And my choices were either to go home and face my parents and face my life the day after day after day, or I thought my only other choice was to lay on these tracks and try and end it all because I thought that would end the pain, and I hoped that I would go to heaven and it would just be better there. So at that point, what did you do? I mean, how long did you have the advance warning the train was coming? Oh, I saw it coming. I probably had a minute before it got to me. And I didn't know how long it would be before the next train came. And it was freezing out. I knew I couldn't stay outside much longer. So right before it got to me, I made the impulsive decision to lay down on the tracks. It wasn't something I decided before it started coming. I made the decision right before it got to me to lay down on the tracks. I got off of the train that I was on. I walked down the rocks that those tracks were on. I walked up the tracks that the other train was on, and I laid down right before the train. How did you lay across the track? I laid between the tracks. My head and my body were between the tracks, and my legs were hanging over. And I never thought about how I would sit, stand, lay, or anything. I just thought I had no competition with the train. I just laid there. I closed my eyes. I clenched my fists. I turned my head in the opposite direction that the train was coming. I just tried to push down all the fear and the shame, and I just laid there. I mean, it was only a fraction of a second before it ran over me. So you could see it coming, and you just laid down on the tracks with it coming? Yes. So I've got the picture in my mind at this point. Here's a 17-year-old girl who's hopeless, really lost hope about her life. And you're going to end it in a, as you said, an impulsive decision to lie down on the tracks in front of a train. Was the ground shaking as it? Yes, I felt I felt the ground shaking. I felt the tracks shaking. I felt the wind of the train. I heard it roaring over me. I felt it begin to suck me upward, almost into itself, which is really what should have happened because... 33 freight train cars went over me at 55 miles per hour. So I should have been sucked up into the train and basically torn to pieces. I guess that's what happens normally when a train is going that fast with the way that I was positioned. But I felt my body begin to rise upward, and then I felt it begin to be pushed down into the ground. Like there was this tremendous weight or force or wind beginning to push me down. You know, I've had four daughters. Mm. I know that as a teenager, young ladies can, as Bob said earlier, can believe those voices and that there is really a battle going on for the souls and for the lives of young people today. I've never, ever talked to a young lady, however, who acted on those and obviously today is alive to be able to tell the story of what took place. And there is more to this story we want to share, but 
I want to take our listeners back to the home you grew up in and just talk about, you know, the, the spiritual condition of that home, what you learned about God, what you believed about God, mm. and your relationship with your parents. Yeah, yeah, how you, how you got to where you got. I mean, was there any <laughs> spiritual background in your home growing up? Yeah, I grew up going to church. I remember going to youth group and things like that, but I never knew that. God created me to be in a personal relationship with him or that there was a choice I needed to make to accept Christ. I never saw anybody who had a real personal relationship around him in my family or that was close to me. I remember praying at meals and at bedtime, but that was about the extent of my spiritual experience. And we didn't talk about God either. And when you were a teenager, you didn't go to any of the the Christian groups that maybe were on campus or participate in them? No, nothing like that. I didn't even know they existed. Hmm. So when normal teenage stuff starts happening, when you start to face groups that reject you or – I mean, I'm just trying to think all of the adolescent angst that all of us went through. I'm imagining that you were processing that like a normal teenager. I don't hear you describing that you kind of went into a dark hole at the beginning of your teen years, did you? No. My freshman and sophomore years were pretty typical, very normal. I had a lot of friends. But I didn't know the difference that God could make in my life. And when things started to go wrong, I had lost about three friends and my grandmother within a year and a half's time. I lost one friend in a motorcycle accident. I lost one in a car accident. I lost one to suicide. I lost my grandma just um, because of her age. And also in that period of time, I was being stalked by two young men and I was raped by another. Oh, man. So I had no idea how to handle that. I had a really hard time believing it. I kind of tried to forget about most of it. I just didn't know how to handle any of it. And I felt like everyone else was handling everything fine. My family, my friends, they just all seemed fine. I remember asking my mom one time, how do you do it? And I remember her telling me, you just do it, because I didn't know how to handle it. There was also something occurring in your family that you haven't mentioned here that was adding to your despair, and that was what your dad was going through. I mean, from the time you were a little girl, your daddy was under a dark cloud of depression. Can you comment on that? I was in about fifth grade when I found out that my dad was diagnosed with depression, and he was grateful when he found out because he he knew something was wrong with him. He's diagnosed with hypothyroidism and depression, but I didn't know what that meant. I remember thinking, well, you're not sad all the time. You know, why are you depressed? And I remember thinking, even being sad a little bit, why would he be sad? Because he had us. We had our family. But I didn't understand the struggle that he was in. I remember in high school, I would come home and he would be sleeping. I remember that he just wasn't there for me. Um, I knew that he loved me and he was present, but I didn't have much of a relationship with him. I had a very close relationship with my mom, though. And, you know, I'm, I'm listening, Kristen, to the emotions that are coming back that are a decade old. I mean, this was a traumatic time in your life and having to deal with trying to sort through suicides, deaths, rape, and even your father's inability to connect with you. Did did your family know about the rape? No, they didn't. I didn't tell anyone. 
So you're processing a lot of this just locked down inside yourself. Right. That's one of the things my mom mostly talks about. She wishes she would have known because they were trying to get me help. They knew something was wrong, but they didn't really know what had happened or what was bothering me so much. And they asked me, but I wanted to be tough. I didn't want to have problems, so I didn't talk about my problems. I tried to just be the person that helped everybody else, and I kept all my problems to myself. Was it a date rape situation? It wasn't. The date rape drug wasn't used, but it was a boy that, a man that I was interested in, a young man, and I trusted him. He was actually in school to be a police officer, Mm. and I just thought he was completely trustworthy and never, ever, ever expected anything like that would happen to me. And you were how old at the time? I was 16. It was the summer of my 16th. And your response to that, um, I'm sure you found out now after having shared this story on college campuses, is not out of the ordinary. There's a lot of this occurring, and there's a lot of secrets being kept in the closet because of shame and fear and what might happen. Right. But just stuff all of that inside a 16-year-old soul, and with all that you were going through— it, it's no surprise that it erupted. I mean, looking back on it now, and, and I mentioned the the demonic influence, and and we can't discount that. But the life circumstances, and and again, all of it getting kind of compressed and pushed down, and mm-hmm. it you can see where somebody gets to a point where they go, why, why stay? Yeah, it just ate away at me. It was it's like I, I held on to hope, but it was just getting less and less and less. And that one moment was the moment that I lost hope. And you didn't have a faith in Christ at that point right. to process all the evil that was occurring to you and around you and to your friends. So there was, there was no ability to interpret and make sense and have understanding at that point. Right. I, and I wasn't even trying to do it myself because I couldn't make any sense of it. But if if I would have had a relationship with God, I know that I would have went to him for understanding. I didn't even know that he offered understanding or comfort or wisdom or strength in difficult times. So I just tried to stuff it down and handle it all myself. And to the parent right now who's listening and, and they're saying, man, I wonder if this has taken place in my daughter or possibly my son. What would you say to a mom, a dad, who's maybe sensing something's up, something's happened, but can't break through? I would tell them to talk to their son or daughter and actually ask them specifically if they have had suicidal thoughts. Ask them on a scale of 1 to 10 how much hope they have. Ask very specific questions because when you ask kids how they're doing, they're usually going to tell you they're fine or they're going to tell you something on a surface level, but if you ask the tough questions, they'll tell you how they're really doing. And I think that it's really important that parents listen and they don't judge them. They don't react in an extreme way. They need to be very, very understanding. I know that most of the adults and youth that talk to me talk to me because they know that I understand. And I think kids need their parents to understand. They need their grace and they need them to pray with them and model a relationship with Christ for them, help them know how they can go to God for strength and for comfort and understanding in difficult times. 
Kristen, as you were laid out across those railroad tracks, your legs dangling out off the tracks, trains coming, did, did you remain conscious through the entire point of impact? You said it was 33 cars, 55 miles an hour. It must have been a couple of minutes that the train... Yeah, I was conscious the whole time. I remember it all completely. And And were you thinking, well... I must be about to die soon? Yes, I was waiting to die. I thought it, you know, any minute now. And actually when the train stopped, I wasn't sure if I was alive or dead. I remember just opening my eyes, unclenching my fists, starting to look around because I didn't know what to think. I didn't know what it was like to die, obviously. I just had no idea what to think. And when I was looking around, I looked behind me to my right, and I saw my legs about 10 feet behind me on my right. And I knew they were my legs because they had these brand new bright white tennis shoes on them that I'd just gotten for Christmas. But it just seemed like it wasn't real. This couldn't be happening. This had to be a horrible nightmare. This couldn't be happening. So I kind of tried to gather myself and I crawled out from underneath the train and I looked down at my legs to see if they were actually gone. And in that moment, this tremendous peace just came over me. And I started hearing the song Amazing Grace play over and over in my head. And I just thought I must be dying. I must be going to heaven. That could only be music from heaven. But what I feel like God was doing is meeting, just meeting me in that moment and showing me, Kristen, you don't need your mom. You just need me. You don't need your mom. You just need me. I'm the only one who can help you in this circumstance. So I remember just resting in, in that peace, though. And I think I might have started to lose consciousness because the next thing I remember is feeling a firefighter take my hair off of my face and pull it behind my ear, but I hadn't heard him come up to me. But when he did that, I opened my eyes and looked up at him, and he kind of stumbled back because he wasn't expecting me to be alive. And I remember just feeling like anger and fear kind of rise up in me because I didn't want anyone to see me like this. I didn't want anyone to help me or save me. And I was embarrassed too, and I just didn't know what to think or feel or do. But he radioed to all the other medical personnel of my location, my status, and they tried to call Flight for Life. But they couldn't Flight for Life because the weather was too bad. So they did something that they've never done since that wasn't protocol that they'd never done before. And they blocked all of the intersections and roads from where I was to the closest hospital that could take me. It was normally a 45-minute drive, but the police report says that they got me there in eight minutes. Mm. So I think... I can only attribute that kind of speed to God. I definitely see him in those details. And when I got to the hospital, the doctors and the nurses were kind of in shock because I had lost eight pints of blood and scientifically you're supposed to die after you lose five. But not only was I alive, I was talking. I knew my mom and dad's phone number, my sister's phone number, things like that. And they were writing them down so they could tell them what had happened to me. And I remember looking up to the man in the white coat next to me who I assumed to be the doctor and asking him if he thought I would live and remember him telling me he didn't know and he says that he'd said that because he knew that I needed to fight fight to die fight to live I needed to fight because I shouldn't have been alive and I wasn't and nobody knew how much time I had left were you still thinking at that time well I guess I'll die soon I was hoping that you know I would die in surgery or something like that you know, I'm I'm listening to your your story here, and I'm seeing you smile. I'm also seeing you cry, and it's it's because in the midst of this trauma, you found the God of the universe, and you found redemption, and you found that personal relationship with Christ. And instead of 
hearing a song about amazing grace, you now sing it. Exactly. Yeah. And you found the one who did bring hope. And we want to share more of that story later with our listeners. But I'm just wondering, Bob, if there's a person right now who doesn't know Christ and where they are, I would just encourage them, give us a call and and let us put some literature in your hands so that you can come into a personal relationship with Christ. There just may be somebody listening right now who may be on the precipice of what you were doing. And um, I don't want them to have to go through the trauma that you went through to find Christ. Yeah. And the reality is that there are circumstances that come in life that lead us to despair. And I, I think, Dennis, about the uh, the book of Psalms and the times that David, the psalmist, found himself in those moments where he cried out with the kind of desperate anguish that um, that you describe, Kristen, the, the kind of hopelessness that he felt and that you felt. And yet the, the message of the gospel is a message of hope in the midst of despair, that uh, the circumstances of this life are not the defining reality that shapes our existence. And uh, I, I just want to encourage listeners, if you are at a point of hopelessness and despair and you don't uh, have settled in your own heart the reality that there's a God who loves you, who uh, is in control of life, and who knows what he's doing, and who who walks with you through the valley and brings you out on the other side. If you don't know that God, if you don't have a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ, uh, I want to encourage you to call us at 1-800-FL-TODAY and ask for a copy of the book Pursuing God. It's a book that we'll send you at no cost that will introduce you to what it means to have uh, a vital relationship with Jesus Christ. Again, call 1-800-FL-TODAY and ask for a copy of the book, Pursuing God. We'll send it to you at no cost, and we pray that God will use this book to bring hope and help in the midst of uh, whatever circumstances you find yourself in. And then let me encourage you to go online at familylifetoday.com to find out more about Kristen's book, Life in Spite of Me. Uh, It is her story, and it is an extraordinary story of hope after uh, what she intended as a fatal choice. Again, go to familylifetoday.com for more information about Kristen's book. There's also information there about other resources that we have on depression uh, and on suicide. Uh, You'll find it at familylifetoday.com or if it's easier to call 1-800-FL-TODAY, do that. Call 1-800-358-6329. That's 1-800-F as in family, L as in life, and then the word today, and we can make arrangements to have the resources you need sent to you. And be sure to join us back tomorrow. Kristen Anderson is going to be here again, and we're going to hear about uh, uh, the hope that followed the despair in her life. And I hope you can be here with us for that. I want to thank our engineer today, Keith Lynch, and our entire broadcast production team. On behalf of our host, Dennis Rainey, I'm Bob Lapine. We will see you back tomorrow for another edition of Family Life Today.
Family Life Today is a production of Family Life of Little Rock, Arkansas. Help for today. Hope for tomorrow. Hello? Whoa! Is he okay? Yeah, Katie just took his favorite car. Wow. Uh, listen, I'm looking at your shopping list and you only wrote cereal. I'm Katie, not sure what you meant by that. Did you mean the... Katie! Ouch! Just say really fast, Choco Puffios or Health no, Slim no, no, Wheat no, no, Granules? No. Which one? Let me thin. Tyler, Tyler, get that straw out of your brother's brand what? plate. No, brand say plate. it one more time. Hey, no, you don't take okay, it. Okay, I'll just go yours. ahead and get the Choco Puffios then. Thanks. Well, then don't I'll, take it. I'll be home as soon as I can. Yowza. You know, life only gets louder and louder, doesn't it? Sometimes it takes concentrated time to intentionally turn down the volume. Get help at Family Life's Weekend to Remember Marriage Getaway. You'll learn God's purpose for your marriage, and you'll get some valuable time together. Register now so you can have a real conversation uh, with an adult. Go to familylife.com weekend or call 1-800-FL-TODAY. Family Life's Weekend to Remember Marriage Getaway.